I think something really amazing happens when you document things. Really interesting things start to unfold. It's almost like it automatically, psychically sets things in motion for you. I started to have people leave on my team, but I also had people show up and said, I see you out there. I'd love to be a part of your team. I'll work for free if I can work with you. Those kinds of things just really inspired me to say, there might be really something here. All of a sudden, it started to spark my enthusiasm. It started to capture my imagination. From Six Story, I'm your producer, Diana Hong, and you're listening to Rev Up Your Potential with Hilda Gann, the show where we talk with entrepreneurs in Toronto about the stories behind their success and the lessons they've learned along the way. And now your host, Hilda Gann. Hilda Gann, rev up your potential and you're in for a treat today because I've invited back Jackie Porter, who was in episode eight. We're going to talk about how she moved from a mentality of being a solopreneur, even though she has staff, to a CEO. I'm so excited how her journey has changed from episode eight to now. And I want to share. Jackie is the head of Team Jackie and she is part of CART Wealth Management. She is a co-author of Single by Choice, and she is Trailblazer of the Year for Wealth Professional, not just once, but twice, 2019 and just this year. Welcome, Jackie. Thank you for coming back on my show. So happy to be here, Hilda. Always a great time to speak with you. We have been colleagues and supported each other over the years. And I think the last time we were talking, we were talking about how you have really stepped up to the plate and evolved from this solopreneur mentality to CEO. So for those who don't know you, tell us a little bit about your background and even your earlier years. Sure. You know, I am a financial planner and I I think I got into this industry, you know, mostly for my own need for financial security. You see, I've been on my own since I was 16, was suddenly single, which is one of the reasons and impetuous around the books, single by choice or chances. I was suddenly single at the age of 16. My mother passed away. I ended up moving in with a, one of my dear friends, roommates for many of our teens and high school years. And, you know, I was making a lot of adult financial decisions early problem with finance is it's just not something you really learn about anywhere, right? So one of the things that I learned uh, early on that even prepared me for being on my own was I had a very strong mother figure. My mother was someone who was very big on being independent. She, from the time I was around seven, I remember her talking to me about not relying on a man, (laughs) having my own. And I saw her, you know, do a whole bunch of different jobs, work really, really hard, And, you know, I use the term loosely, but she recruited me for a lot of the things she was doing, like (laughs) catering and, you know, she, she would do uh, coat checking, whatever she could do to put food on our table and pay the bills. So when I was left on my own, I, you know, kind of just adopted that. I worked three jobs throughout high school and university and even into my twenties and kind of stumbled across the financial industry in my um, mid-20s, around 26, when I was downsized for my first full-time job and needed someone because while I was there, the five years I was there, I was able to um, max out my RSPs, max out all of the plans, the benefit, the benefit matching programs that they had and stock matching. And so I actually had a little bit of a nest egg because I was a good saver. That's one thing you learn when you're on your own early is how to save. And so I was always anxious about my future. So I always wanted to make sure I had financial security. So 
my girlfriend who I lived with during my high school and university years said, you know, you should talk to a financial planner. You've built up all these assets in the company, which I didn't even really knew were assets so much, right? But anyway, she referred me to a planner who happened to be a person of color and happened to be female, which you know, 25 years ago, that was revolutionary. But yeah. she said something to me that really captured my imagination. And what she said was making money work for me and putting my money to work and having long-term financial freedom as a result of that. No one's ever talked to me like that. Like I never had a conversation like that with my, my own mother. And, you know, the truth is we don't learn about money anywhere. So that was really my first foray into the financial industry because I thought at that point in time, it was 10 years from being on my own. And I just thought about how hard I worked and, and how hard it was. And I just didn't want the next 10 years of my life to look like the, first, the last 10 years of my life. So I actually wanted to get into the industry. So as this woman was talking to me about putting money to work, I'm like, how do I get into this industry? <laughs> I know nothing about this. Please help me get into it. I need to learn everything I can because I really need money to work for me. I don't want to work this hard. And that really was what led me to this career path. As I got more successful and created my own seven-figure network, I thought about all the people who were like me, who knew nothing about money and who could really use the advice and how much of a game changer understanding money was for me. You know, Amy, you've encapsulated 10 years worth of your journey But I'm just thinking back to that young adolescent, 16, having to now make adult types of decisions and and to find the finances to sustain yourself. I remember in earlier conversations, people were suggesting to you that that your career was as a hairdresser. Do you want to (laughs) share that story? I mean, that's just, you know, I think that's a reflection of of the the times, sometimes even now, where people of color were sold that this is what you should be. Do you want to share that story? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think really what I take from that story. So this was when my mother was actually still alive. She was ill, but she was still alive. And we were just starting to make, in grade 10, you start to make those applications to thinking about your career path and what you want to do if you want to go to college or university. And my quote-unquote guidance counselor, and I use that term loosely, I asked him, you know, what do you think I should be when I grow up, figure out where my strengths are, and I would love his input. And I'll never forget because he looked me dead in the eye when I asked him this. And he said, you know, what do you think you should be when you grow up? And then he just stared at me. He goes, do you know that you're a person of color and that you've got, you know, three strikes against you? Do you know this? Have you thought about that? And I was trying to think through all the strikes against me he must have met because I came up with two on black and female. I could never remember what the third strike was. But that's enough as far as I'm concerned. Anyway, he said, have you ever considered getting into hairdressing? That was his follow-up comment. Now, for those of you out there who are hairdressers, what you should know is I'm actually not um, berating what you do. I'm berating me coming into the profession and joining you (laughs) and bringing it down is really what I'm saying. If if anyone from my family or friendship circle would have heard this man saying that I would somehow have the talent and skill of a hairdresser, they would have laughed him into next week. Because anyone who knows me knows I'm not skillful with my hands whatsoever. And I would have been a pauper if I had to develop, to depend on these for my livelihood. So I actually was, was very, I, I actually found what he said very helpful 
for me because it actually made me realize I can't always trust other people to give me guidance on what my future should look like because he clearly didn't know who I was. So he didn't get the opportunity to make any decisions on my behalf. So it was actually great that he said hairdresser. Maybe if he said secretary or I don't know what else, maybe I, I would have went, well, maybe. But I thought this guy knows nothing about me. He doesn't get to, he doesn't get to decide what my life looks like. And kudos to you because some people might have thought, oh, I'm not, you know, that's what I need to be. And, and take the word of somebody who doesn't know them. And it's too bad he probably sent that message to a lot of other people. Yeah, Mis- no. Misguided a lot of people because he didn't really know people enough to give that advice. But, you know, no, it's, it's true. And I, I'm lucky that he said something that was the actual opposite of what I knew my skill set was. So I, I, I consider myself lucky. You know, as you're talking about your career up to the time that you met this, this, uh, this financial planner, I'm hearing tidbits of strength, of resilience, of managing your time. So we're going to talk about now the fact that when I first met you, you were, you know, you had a team, Jackie. Maybe you didn't call it team, Jackie, then, but you had staff, but you didn't necessarily, you called yourself a lone wolf, even though you had these staff, lone wolf. Do you want to describe what that, that means? Yeah, I think, I think psychologically and by the way apparently gen xers tend to describe themselves as lone wolf so for your for the people listening i should look that up if you're a gen xer like myself we spent a lot of time like i i know i spent a lot of time on my own in in my childhood i had to do a lot of things for myself really really early and then being left alone at such a young age all of those things i think psychologically impacted me where i was really someone who really learn how to just depend on myself and myself only. And psychologically, that it's great to get me to where I got to, right? But not when you're trying to build a team and build a company. And so I feel like I carried that, you know, a moniker around for a long time because that's what I knew. I knew how to depend on myself. And I felt the burden actually taking care of others. I, I felt that to be a burden and I felt it was just easier to do it myself. So I was my worst enemy trying to work with a team because I, I just kind of went, I'll, I'll just do it myself. It's going to just be too much trouble. And I, and I think for your listeners, I'm sure there's a lot of people out there who just kind of go, you know, I know how to do it. I've, you know, I'm really good at doing a lot of things. So I might as well just do it. That's, that's the thing. All of us, many of us as managers, you know, we rise to the top because we're good at what we do. We can, we, we're, we can manage it ourselves. But how do you create a team that then helps leverage your time, right? And to trust them to do it as good as you. I remember my, my first manager, I was an educator and one of her, I was leaving for, for Calgary. I'd been with her for three years and she said, Hilda, one of the things is you have very high standards. You always want to do a great job. You want to, you know, provide quality, but you need to not enforce that with others because they really get upset with you. And I'm going, why shouldn't they have these high standards? But it was was a lesson learned that, you know, if you teach somebody how to do it and then you want and nurture them, they could get as good as you. They don't have to do it exactly like you do, but they could be different. And, you know, so I, I understand what you're saying. And I think all many of the listeners out there have the same problem. 
can you give us kind of an anecdote where you felt that that kind of lone wolf mentality really impacted on you helping your team? You know, it could be an, an individual or the whole team. Yeah, I think just working with my, you know, frontline assistant at the time, I actually think as an advisor, I just became better and better because I kept getting better and better clients. Their expectations kept going up and that brought my expectations up and and it made me a better advisor. And I just found that coaching people and I struggled with giving feedback. Like I didn't want to be too harsh with someone, but I wanted to give them feedback on how they can improve. I found that I, I was always challenged to you know, give people feedback, like what's the line, right? Like, how do you give people feedback to say, this is how I want you to do things. I just was always challenged by the proper way to do that. And so I would often hold back what I really wanted to say, because I couldn't figure out the right way to say it. I'm not really good at being politically correct. And it's just been something I've had to learn how to do over time. And so I would end up not saying exactly what I want. And then I would just be frustrated. And I realized why I was having trouble was I didn't set good expectations. I think probably lesson number one is set the stage when you're working with a team, set expectations. One of the things we instituted in 2020 was we created an employee handbook that said, these are my expectations. This is how, when you're working with us, how we want things to be. This is the culture we want to build. We want to build fun. I hadn't given a lot of thought to culture creating an environment that speaks to what I value, what I want clients to value and the experience with us. So it was just thinking through all of these things rather than reacting and then trying to give feedback. And and I think those are some of the things that I've had to learn is setting the stage, setting expectations goes a long way. Then it's not like having to go back to the person all the time and say, and this, and that, and this, and another thing. So at what stage of your staffing, like how many numbers did you feel now? Hmm, this is what I need to do. I need to set clear expectations. I need to, I need to identify the culture I want to have, not the culture that evolves because I didn't share it. What, what magic number of staff uh, did you? Do you know what? It wasn't the magic number. It was the pandemic because, you know, we're not in an office together. Like the pandemic uh, gave me two things thinking time to kind of think through all of these things. And also we weren't meeting in a specific place anymore where I could just let things happen. (laughs) So how do you, how do you create culture remotely? Well, you have to document. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. One of the things that I do when I, you know, when I support and help my clients is I really want them to understand that they should be creating their mission, vision, and values. Because when you set that expectation, that foundation helps you to hire the right people, helps to nurture. And I noticed like one of the things that I do when we're building our, our policy and procedure managers, talk about what are your expectations? A little bit of history so people understand that evolution. And, and I use the term uplift. You know, when you share things, when you're building that trusting relationship, you want to help uplift people. You know, so I know a lot of people struggle with the right words to say, but the more you practice to say things in the positive or neutral, minimum neutral, the, <laughs> the more you will build a stronger and stronger relationship. Yeah. No, so, it's 100% true. And I found doing the handbook actually helped me think through, you know, why did I start the team? You know, what do I want to do? 
with the company as time goes on. And it, it just gave me a lot of reflection time. And I often have that open just to look at, just to remind me, just as a reminder, because I, I find that helps me to continue to look at ways that the company evolves because you kind of have to kind of keep going to it, say, yeah. here's where you are, here's where you are. And then it starts to help me evolve too. And it helps me when I'm having you know conversations with my team, even with my clients, I have that in the background and it just does a lot for you know, keeping me inspired, keeping the team inspired, and just kind of keeping the, the direction. I like ahead. how you say that because I can feel that energy of, 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 of moving from that, that lone wolf struggling to say the right things to this positive energy that you're creating. I want it to be fun. I, you know, we need to do our work, but it's got to be fun. And, and I think that there's a mental mind shift in you. And I suspect this, this, the team has also shifted to this, yes. like, we're together now. Tell me more about that. Yeah, you know what? There's, it's so interesting, right? Because as I've, as, as I've documented what I want, set the expectations, and that's kind of how you create a culture, as I've come to learn, right? That a few really interesting things happen. People came to me and sought me out, and people left. So team members that I wasn't really that happy with, that I was always struggling with, and it just felt like such a challenge to move the needle from one place to the next, left. And then new people came. And I thought to myself, hmm, this is really interesting. You know, growth sometimes can be very challenging and sometimes growth can be painful. And I I think we spoke a little bit about this, Hilda. Sometimes growing a company, I often feel like it's going through puberty again, getting pimples, (laughs) feeling a little awkward. But then all of a sudden, the next thing you know, you're like an adult, right? And and then you go through some other change. But I, I would say that that's, kind of the, the process I felt like I've gone through over the last few years is that prepubescent to adulthood <laughs> my company has for sure. And, and throughout that, you know, really the learning for me and, you know, the thing about life is you take anything that happens, any challenges, either an opportunity or you, you kind of can be bitter about it. It's always your choice. And when I look at this just as a, from the eyes of a journalist, my background is journalism psychology before getting into finance. I think hmm, if I gather all this data, what I learned about documenting all of the processes because we had no choice and we wanted to create a culture remotely and had, having this time, like this mixed blessing COVID, right? Like it gave me a lot of time to think about all of these things. I never had the time, I feel, to think about all of these things. And, and that gave me an opportunity to, to really be the master designer of the plan that I want of the environment I want to create for my staff, for my clients, you know, and, and the, also the legacy. What were some of those struggles to, to move from that mentality of, you know, I can do it better and, and how do I communicate? So my team is like, we're working together as a team to this, this, this time now where I think, I mean, we were, we, we talk regularly. So that epiphany happened recently and I said you have to come on my show you because I hear the CEO now I hear the person that's there guiding and directing their company and nurturing their team and fostering and building that share COVID that. happened huh I really believe COVID you think happened. COVID was the pivotal thing you don't think even before I, COVID you were starting to kind of see little glimmers well, I, of I, that I've been seeking that for like the last I would say you know two years I've been I've been trying to figure out how to go from being the lone wolf and the reluctant leader to being the person who, you know, 
owns the CEO. And so I've been questioning that and looking at it. And, and I think that, as I said, the, the blessing of COVID is I, I feel like I had time. I feel like I had thinking time. Yeah, and yeah. I realized one of the things all CEOs need and have to intentionally carve out. I mean, it's, it's unfortunate that a pandemic gave me thinking time. Like why, as a leader, I didn't think I deserved that. You know what I mean? And, yeah. and so I think carving out the time was one of the crucial things. So Mondays and Fridays in my calendar are carve out times for me to think. Because most CEOs carve out time in their day to mm-hmm. think through all of these things, right? To have time to think about the company and what's going right, what's going wrong, and you know what can we change? So I had that in spades in 2020, like more than time than I've ever had. I wasn't having to drive places. I didn't have to, you know, so I I feel like I realized the importance of carving out that time in my life to do that. And then, you know, I think the other part of it too is just that whole scenario of not having the team together and trying to figure out how do I create culture with the team? How do I do that remotely? And having to think through that. And then the next thing that happened was documenting everything. It's, I think something really amazing happens when you document things. Really interesting things start to unfold. It's almost like it automatically um, sets, psychically sets things in motion for you. So I started to have people leave, as I said, on my team. But I also had people show up and said, you know, I see you out there. I'd love to be a part of your team. I'll work for free if I can work with you. And it was just like those kinds of things just really inspired me to say, there might be really something here. And all of a sudden, it it started to spark my enthusiasm. It started to capture my imagination. And I was actually excited to start to assemble this group of people who we had the same values. So I think that's the other thing, right? It's once you set things in motion where you're writing things down and and you actually document your values, then you can kind of start to look closely at the people on your team to say, do they share the same values as you do? Because I I have to say, I thoroughly enjoy working with my team members. And I can't say that that was always the case, but then I had no rhyme or reason to choosing people other than the resume looked like it was the right resume. Yeah, it's so important for fit. You know, as as I read things, and of course I have experience with it, a lot of people will stay at a company or join a company because the values align. They don't have to be a perfect match. They just right. have to align. And if they align and you you nurture them as individuals, the likelihood of people staying on are greater. And so I love, you know, the things that you do. You're really reinforcing the reflection time. COVID has given everybody that opportunity to do that reflection time. I remember when my kids were growing up, I would be dropping them off at, you know, different activities or the dentist. And those were the times when I would sit there and I would write strategically. We didn't have Google at that time or whatever, but that was the time. And I remember recently sitting in a doctor's office and I didn't have my phone with me and I started writing because I had a a piece of paper. And I thought, oh my God, I'm not getting enough strategic time because I'm not, I'm not sitting down and being, what am I going to do? Make good use of my time. So you're right. You need to, as a business owner who's expanding their business, have that time to think and reflect. And you're right when you say, when you put it down on paper, 
you can visually see it now. It's not just floating in your head. It's seeing it and your staff can see it. And that helps you hire the right people. You know, I'm so excited for you in terms of your newfound CEO mentality, your new team that's that's there. You do talk about a couple of people self, you know, self-selected out of this. Can you give us a sense of how that felt when they left? Did you see what, what were your feelings going through that? You know, so two things I'm going to say, I'm going to speak to that. And I, I wanted to just really remind people, because that's one of the lessons I've learned during the pandemic. You cannot afford as a CEO or as a lone wolf, because that's how you end up staying in that wheel of being the lone yep, wolf. Yep. have to carve out time to reflect. And I say this as someone who didn't do a very good job of it myself and learning from COVID. We're, we're, we hear that. We hear that loud and clear. <laughs> yes. Yes. But you, you can't afford not to do it. If you exactly. want things to change for your business, you, you really need to carve it out because otherwise then you're staying in that circle of frustration of doing everything yourself, of not leveraging your money, your time, so you can leverage making more money. So it, it all goes hand in hand, right? Like then your your income doesn't grow. All of these things are, are contingent on you being able to look at your business and spending some time thinking what's, go, what's working, what's not working. That's what every successful CEO does. Mm-hmm. So I just wanted to, re- just to kind of reiterate yeah. around that. Yeah. Time is money. But then the other piece is as far as people self-selecting out and what that felt like, can I say that was a feeling of relief? <laughs> no, I, 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 I wanted you to say that because I, I'll, I'll share my thoughts after, but yes. Because it's, it's kind of the equivalent to me of a relationship that's no longer working, but you don't want to be the one to put it to an end. You really want the other person to say, it's not working. It's not me, it's you. Or it's not you, it's me. Whatever, how does that go <laughs> again? But I felt a a tremendous sense of of relief when people in my team self-selected out. And what I can say is, you know, I, like I, I didn't, I wanted the best for that person because as a person, I care about them, but I just thought that that wasn't going to be where you should, where we should be because we don't share the same values. Mm -hmm. And it's almost like as soon as that person left, the skies opened up and everything became better. We had, we got better clients. Things started to, happen and everything felt more positive and and easier less hard and i find that repeats itself over and over again when we you know i talk to people they wish they had done it sooner sometimes i have one person who said i waited three years for that person to finally leave (laughs) and going what what do you mean by that you know sometimes as business owners don't have the courage to have that kind of conversation to guide somebody to somewhere and when when it happens they feel the owner feels better the entrepreneur feels better but the staff do too because maybe there was tension not just between two people but the whole team and you know what you're 100 percent right about that Hilda, because that particular individual's lack of enthusiasm brought down the whole team and you can even see it in our meetings that she was a person who never like barely had her camera on she just wasn't as engaged as everyone else. So it just kind of brought everyone down. And you don't realize how negative energy can just have such an impact yeah. on positive energy. Yeah. So everybody became more enthusiastic. The team started to work better. People are collaborating as a team so much more since, since that individual has left. And so all I can say is, you know, we've definitely had challenges because it's been really busy and we've been, we've been short staffed. 
I actually took the time. I took a lot of time to find the right fit before rehiring because I didn't, I realized, you know what, you want to put just as much thought into bringing people on as you do in getting rid of them. So I wanted to put just as much thought in finding the right person who had the right fit and the right values, had the right level of enthusiasm, because I love working with enthusiastic people. I feed off of that. And I want them to be excited. And I think positive energy can be so nurturing and supportive, but negative energy can really just suck it right out. Everybody. And it only takes one person. Exactly. Just one person in your organization. So if that's happening, you know, you need to think about maybe you got to do something. You got to have the courage. One of the things that my husband and I prided ourselves on when we were iTrans Consulting was really creating a positive work environment, nurturing, nurturing. And I worked on it like it was in my DNA to work on it, to nurture, to foster. And we had a reunion and suddenly at the reunion, these people came back because they wanted to reconnect with the good feelings they had. They say, Hilda, we never realized until after we left how really good this company was. There'll never be another iTrans, et cetera, et cetera. And all of a sudden, in the middle of the evening, there, there were 40, 50 people there. I suddenly realized it wasn't just Tyrone and I trying to foster that. All of these people in this room, they were ambassadors. We hired people who fit the culture and the, and the idea of promoting people to do their best and to enjoy where they worked. And, and I just looked at that room, around the room, and I thanked every one of them in my mind and personally throughout the evening for being the people that they were. And each person was nurturing that positive culture a step further. Not that it was perfect, but if you get a lot of them, that's the masses that really help build a culture. Well, I think about that from a, like a sports analogy, right? Like the Olympics are about to happen. And it's to me that if you've got really good team members, they can be your relay carriers. So one person can take that vision to the next, pass it to the other person in marketing, pass it to the person in sales, pass it to the person in men, and making everything better, getting you over the finish line that yeah. much faster. Yeah. So I, I just think about hiring great people, like hiring great relay Anyways, Jack, I just really wanted to bring you back because you and I are connected and, and, and speak regularly. But the journey when you were starting, when we first met, you were sharing that, yes, you know, I've been so resilient. I've done so much on my own for so many years. It's hard. It's hard to have these team people. And, and now when I hear you say, wow, I really enjoy the team I've created. I'm nurturing and supporting them. What a journey. And I wanted to share it with other people because I'm sure everybody's thinking this way. How do I move? A hundred percent. And why I use relay racers is you can't in a relay run the race of that relay on your own. It's not yeah. possible. You're yeah. going to get tired. Mm-hmm. So having people that you can pass that on to, to take it to the next level and trusting that they can do that, that trust comes from picking the right person. Yeah. Thank you very much for coming on. How do people get a hold of you? Yeah, tell them. To, I would love to hear from you if, if some of the stuff resonated. I'd love to hear your story. But you can reach out to me at uh, www.askjackie.ca. Just come to our contact page if, if um, you'd like more information on me or, or our, our services. Thank you so much, Helen. This was a pleasure. Oh, I really wanted to share this because I feel this is a journey many many entrepreneurs are trying to struggle with. And I'm hoping our conversation today helps them think more like a CEO and see the value 
of moving in the direction. And thank you for sharing all that. Not I'd a problem, but def- definitely not alone. <laughs> <laughs> I'd like to thank my production team, Six Story, for helping produce this, as well as my team back at People Bright Consulting for getting us to today's podcast. If you, as the viewers, liked what you heard, please like us, subscribe, and there are many other people who I have invited on our podcast that really have a story that I think you'll find really interesting and may help you in your journey for success. Thank you again, Jackie, for joining us on Rev Up Your Your Potential. Thank you. Bye now. Bye.